0: Hello and welcome to Speak the Words of Stormlight Archive podcast. I'm Sean.
1: And I'm Mango.
0: This is a podcast where I slowly but surely walk Mango through the events of the Stormlight Archive, starting with book one, The Way of Kings. And this week, finally, five months after we started, Mango, we are completing, finishing out The Way of Kings. Uh... uh. I, I know, I know. We And it's, man... Um, we were going to record later this week, but, uh, I, I was like, Hey, Mango, you know, if you want to earlier, like, <laughs> you know, we, we can, you know, I was like, I mean, only of course, if you want to, which of course is code to, for like, man, I, I really want, I really want to finish this book.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, uh, starting, uh, stopping in the middle of a Sanderlanch is, uh, a choice that I needed to make. But oh boy. Uh was it a difficult
3: one? Mango, I'm not gonna ask you to recap every single thing that happened last week.
1: Um battle. Yeah Thaddeus left. Mm-hmm. Um Bridge Four went back to save people. hmm Nobody important died yet.
0: Nope. Um Kaladin swore the second ideal.
1: Yeah, and got more powerful. I'm not going to recap up. the really really cool scene, but there was a really really cool scene. <laughs> um, we saw how Tian died. Yeah. yeah, that was right before the <laughs> really really
0: cool scene. Um, I felt your energy deflate when you.
1: <laughs> anyway, um, and then they all return back to the camps, and they kind of confront. Well, Salinar
3: confronts Thaddeus, kind of. Um. And
1: then is like, hey, give me your bridgemen. And Sadi is like, no, and not even if you pay me for it. So Dalinar gives up his um. All the bridgemen shard blade, in exchange for all of the bridgemen. All and... of them,
3: not just bridge four. Every yeah, single one in the of them. all of them.
1: Anyway, yeah. and then Sadis takes the deal. And then he gives the, oh, he didn't do that yet, but um, he confronted Elokar. I was like, hey, you idiot. Like, if I wanted you dead, I could have killed you a million times over and kind of threatens him and like (laughs) physically beats him up and stuff. And he was like, but I'm not going to kill you.
0: And if I really wanted
1: to kill you, I could have already. Like, so, uh, stop, uh, thinking that I'm the bad guy and stop giving Thaddeus power and you're gonna make me high prince of
0: war. One of my favorite exchanges is, I love you like a son, boy. You have very odd paternal instincts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was good. That was immediately after physically beating him up and threatening his life
0: yeah
2: so that was interesting
0: and um, uh, i love uh you, you talked about it but you know kaladin's like what the fuck just happened and he runs up to dalinar and he's like what did you do and dalinar's like what what's a life worth what is what is a the life is
1: priceless
0: yes uh kaladin says the uh, a man's life is priceless, priceless, or whatever and dalinar says uh coincidentally that is the exact price of a shard blade so you and your men sacrificed to save, or gave me six, saved me six thousand lives—not six thousand, like twenty-six hundred lives or something—and all I had to give in in uh, repayment is one single shard blade, and I, I think that's a—that's a not bargain. what he said. No, but he—he he he said something. He said
1: that it like, one however many bridgemen he was gaining, oh that no, that many lives in exchange no, was... for one priceless sword. I thought he was talking he, about the bridgemen.
0: No, he was talking about the people that Kaladin saved by going back. Oh. Uh, you bought me 2,600 priceless lives, and all I had to give in exchange was one priceless sword. I oh. think, And he's like, I think that's a bargain. Uh, and yeah, he doesn't even think about it as, because he said you're not going to be slaves in my camp. Like, I'm going to free you immediately. So he's not even really thinking about it as buying Like, you the can slavery. be soldiers. Um, yeah. Or, you, or can, you can leave. Yeah. There might be a little bit more of their... Co- he said we'll talk again tonight, so we might get that before yep. we're done here. Uh, I think that's everything.
3: Everything important. Yes.
0: Tonight, we're doing the entirety of part five, because it's not very long. Part five, titled The Silence Above, with the POVs this chapter being Shalon, Dalinar, Kaladin, Zeth, and Wit. Okay, chapter 70, Sea of Glass. None of the chapters in this part have epigraphs. Uh, but this chapter
3: has Shallan's symbol.
0: We start, Shallan is lying in uh, a hospital room. She felt sick over her betrayal of Yasna and the death of Capsule. Uh, she'd wondered if his affection for her had really been all a lie. He had tried desperately to get her to eat the jam, the antidote, but when he'd eaten it, it hadn't done anything. Then, she remembered something. Something that had slipped her mind in her grief, and something that you mentioned, Mango. Yasna had eaten the bread. Shallan sat up. Yasna had eaten the bread, but wasn't poisoned. How had she survived? Shallan reached into her pouch, finding the garnet sphere that uh, Yasna had used to save her. Yasna had also left a book with her, the Book of Endless Pages. Shallan knew the simple-headed creatures were all around her, but she'd made no further attempts to speak back to them. She picked up her sketchbook and began to sketch the moment where Yasna had been holding the jam. She'd stuck her finger in the jam and smelled it, but hadn't said anything about it being spoiled. She drew Yasna eating the bread, and after eating it, Yasna had grimaced. In her reproduction of the moment, it looked like the bread in Yasna's mouth was melting. Shallan rose from her bed, grabbed the sphere, and left the hospital. Her guard was gone. She made her way across the city, all the way to the conclave, and into the palinaeum. And then she goes all the way up to Yasna's alcove. I'm going to read from the book here. Uh, Yasna says, You are not welcome here. Shalon walked in anyway, surprised by how calm she felt. Her hands should be shaking. "'Don't make me call the soldiers to get rid of you,' Yasna said. "'I could have you thrown in prison for a hundred years for what you did. "'Do you have any idea what—' "'The Soulcaster you wear is a fake,' Shallan said quietly. "'It was a fake the whole time, even before I made the switch.' "'Yasna froze. "'I wondered why you didn't notice the switch,' Shallan said, sitting in the room's other chair. "'I spent weeks confused. "'Had you noticed but decided to keep quiet in order to catch the thief? "'Hadn't you Soulcast in all that time? "'It didn't make any sense.' Unless the Soulcaster I stole was a decoy. Yasna relaxed. Uh, yes, very clever of you to realize that. I keep several decoys. You're not the first to try to steal the Fabriel. You see, I keep the real one carefully hidden, of course. Of course. Sean took out her sketchpad and searched through for a specific picture. It was the image she'd drawn of the strange place with the sea of beads, the floating flames, the distant sun and a black, black sky. Shallan regarded it for a moment, then she turned and held it up for Yasna. The look of utter shock Yasna displayed was nearly worth the night spent feeling sick and guilty. Yasna's eyes bulged, and she sputtered for a moment, trying to find words. Shallan blinked, taking a memory of that. She couldn't help herself. "'Where did you find that?' Yasna demanded. "'What book described that scene to you?' "'No book, Yasna,' Shallan said, lowering the picture. "'I visited that place.' The night when I accidentally soul cast the goblet in my room to blood, then covered it up by faking a suicide attempt. Impossible. You think I'd believe. There is no Fabriel, is there, Yasna? There's no soulcaster. There never has been. You use the fake Fabriel to distract people from the fact that you have the power to soulcast on your own. Uh, Shalon says that she'd done it too, that perhaps being near Yasna has changed Shallan, that it had something to do with the place with the sea of beads and the creatures. She says that Yasna had been expecting the jam to contain the poison, so she soul cast the jam, but didn't know how to recreate strawberry jam, so it went wrong. She'd soulcast away the antidote. Yasna hadn't wanted to eat the bread either, so she soulcast it into something else in her mouth, which is why she was so disgusted by it. So when the Capsule opens the fucking jar and he's like, hey, that doesn't smell right. It's because when Yasna dipped her fucking hand in, she soul
3: cast it. And she'd accidentally soul cast away the, uh,
0: the Antidote. Uh, Yasna had, had done all this while wearing Shallan's broken soulcaster. She hadn't noticed the swap yet. Yasna calls Shallan delusional, and I'm going to read from the book here again. Very well, Shallan said. She stood up, clutching the dim sphere. I guess I'll have to show you if I can. Creatures, she said in her head. Can you hear me? "'Yes, always,' a whisper came in response. though she'd hoped to hear it, she still jumped. "'Can you return me to that place?' she asked. "'You need to tell me something true. "'The more true, the stronger our bond. "'Yasna is using a fake soulcaster. "'I'm sure that's a truth.' "'That's not enough. "'I must know something true about you. "'Tell me.' The stronger the truth, the more hidden it is. The more powerful the bond. Tell me. Tell me. What are you? What am I? Shallan whispered. Truthfully? It was a day for confrontation. She felt strangely strong. Steady. Time to speak it. I'm a murderer. I killed my father. (gasps) Ah, the voice whispered. A powerful (laughs) truth indeed. And the alcove vanished. Shallan fell, dropping into that sea of dark glass beads. She struggled, trying to stay at the surface. She managed it for a moment, then something tugged on her leg, pulling her down. She screamed, slipping beneath the surface, tiny beads of glass filling her mouth. She panicked. She was going to... The beads above her parted. Those beneath her surged, bearing her upward, out to where someone stood, hand outstretched. Yasna, back to the black sky, face lit by nearby hovering flames. Yasna grasped Shallan's hand, pulling her upward onto something, a raft, made from the beads of glass. They seemed to obey Yasna's will. Idiot girl, Yasna said, waving. The sea of beads to the left split, and the raft lurched, bearing them sideways toward a few flames of light. Yasna shoved uh, shoved Shallan into one of the small flames, and she fell backward off the raft and hit the floor of the alcove. Yasna sat where she had been, eyes closed. A moment later, she opened them, giving Shallan an an angry look. Idiot, girl! You have no idea how dangerous that was. Visiting Shadesmar with only a single dim sphere? Idiot! Shallan had her. She knew the truth and could spread it. She says that she wants to be part of whatever it is that Yasna is working on. She wanted to be Yasna's word for real. She wants Yasna to train her in the power they both possessed. She says that Yasna had opened something in Shallan that couldn't be closed now, and that while Shallan would make her more mistakes, she needed Yasna. Yasna took a deep breath. Sit down. Shallan sat. You will never lie to me again, Yasna said, raising a finger, and you will never steal from me or anyone again. I promise. Yazna sat for a moment, then sighed. Scoot over here, she said, pulling open a book. Shallan obeyed as Yasna took out several sheets filled with notes. What is this? Shallan asked. You wanted to be part of what I'm doing? Well, you'll need to read this. Yasna looked down at the notes. It's about the Void Bringers." That's the end of the chapter. Shalane's a murderer. She killed her dad. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> I, like, gasped when you said that. Yeah, and I was like, I, dang, why didn't I figure that out?
0: I heard. Why didn't uh, I figure that out? Uh, I love going back and whenever she thinks about, like, when her dad died, like, she's trying to block it out. Is that and how she...
1: she got a shard blade?
0: <sighs> Good question. Or oh, did she uh, use book? the
1: shard blade to kill her dad?
0: Uh, good question. Next book is <laughs> uh, next book. Is Shallan's book. Okay. Chapter well, not, not the next yeah. one we're doing. No, no, but uh, Words of Radiance, the second Stormlight book, yeah. is about Shallan. Chapter 71, Recorded in Blood. And this chapter has Zeth's symbol. Zeth, Sun Sun Velano, truthless of Shinovar, was walking off a ship on the docks of Carbranth. He could hear the dead scream every time he closed his eyes. He found himself blaming his victims. He hated them for not being strong enough to fight back and kill them or kill him. He had reached the last name on the list, Taravangian, the king of Carbranth, a beloved monarch known for building and maintaining hospitals in his city. It was known as far away as Aesir that if you were sick, Taravant, Tarav- eh, Taravangian would take you in, would take you in. Come to Carbranth and be healed. The king loved all. And Zeth was going to kill him. Uh, If you don't remember, this is where Shallan and Yasna are. Yeah, I know. Okay. The instructions for this assassination had been different. Nobody else was to die. The murder was to be done quietly. He was supposed to deliver a message. The others are dead. I've come to finish the job. Zeth made his way to the palace, masquerading as a porter, entered the the uh, servant's privy, and cut a hole in the wall with his shard blade into the light-eyes privy. He stripped his porter uniform, revealing a master-servant outfit beneath, then made his way toward, uh, t- towards Taravangian's private study. Zeth knocked out the two guards in front of Taravangian's study and burst in. I'm gonna read from the book here. Zeth strode forward. I have been instructed to tell you that the others are dead. I've come to finish the job. He raised his hands, shard blade forming. The king did not turn. Zeth hesitated. He had to make certain the, king acknowledge- the man acknowledged what had been said. Did you hear me? Zeth demanded, striding forward. Did you kill my gods, Zeth son, son Volano? velano The king asked quietly. Zeth froze. He cursed and stepped backward, raising his blade into a defensive stance. Another trap. You have done your work well, the king said, still not facing him. Leaders dead, lives lost. Panic and chaos. Was this your destiny? Do you wonder? Given that monstrosity of a shard blade by your people, cast out and absolved of any sin your masters might require of you? I am not absolved, Zeth said, still wary. It is a common mistake stonewalkers make. Each life I take weighs me down, eating away at my soul. The voices, the screams, spirits below, I can hear them howling. Yet you kill. It is my punishment, Zeth said, to kill. To have no choice but to bear the sins nonetheless. I am truthless. Truthless, the king mused. I would say that you know much more, more than your countrymen now. He finally turned to face Zeth, and Zeth saw that he had been wrong about this man. King Taravangian was no simpleton. He had keen eyes and a wise, knowing face, rimmed with a full white beard, the mustaches drooping like arrow points. You have seen what death and murder do to a man. You could say, Zeth's son, son Valano, that you bear great sins for your people. You understand what they cannot, and so you have truth. Zeth frowned, and then it began to make sense. He knew what would happen next, even as the king reached into his voluminous sleeve and withdrew a small rock that glittered in the light of two dozen lamps. You were always him, Zeth said. My unseen master. The king set the rock on the ground between them, Zeth's own oath stone. Taravangian had put his own name on the list in case Zeth had been captured to make him look like one of the victims. He asked if Zeth had killed his guards and Zeth said that he'd just knocked them out. Taravangian went to check on them, then returned. Why? Zeth asked, voice hoarse. Vengeance? No, Taravangian sounded very tired. Some of those men you killed were my dear friends, Zeth's son, son, Valano. More insurance? To keep yourself from suspicion? In part? and in part because their deaths were necessary. Why? What could it possibly have served? Stability. Those you killed were among the most powerful and influential men in Roshar. How does that help stability? Sometimes, you must tear down a structure to build a new one with stronger walls. He turned around, looking out over the ocean. And we are going to need strong walls in the coming years. Very, very strong walls. Your words are like the hundred doves. Or doves. Easy to release, easy to dif- difficult to keep, Taravangian said, speaking the words in Shin. Zeth looked up sharply. This man spoke the Shin language and knew his people's proverbs. Odd to find in a stonewalker, odder to find in a murderer. Yes, I speak your language. Sometimes I wonder if the life brother himself sent you to me. To bloody myself so that you wouldn't have to. Yes, that sounds like something one of your voran gods would do. Tarvangian ordered Zeth to follow him and led him through a side door in his study and down a long spiral staircase. They entered a room that wasn't on any of the palace's maps. It was long, with wide railings on the sides, giving it a terrace look. Everything was painted white. It was filled with with beds, hundreds and hundreds of them. Many were occupied. Zeth followed the king, frowning. An enormous hidden room cut into the stone of the conclave? People bustled about wearing white coats. A hospital? Zeth asked. You expect me to find your humanitarian efforts a redemption for what you have commanded of me? This is not humanitarian work, Taravangian said, walking forward slowly, white and orange robes rustling. Those they passed bowed to him with reverence. Taravangian led Zeth to an alcove of beds, each with a sickly person in it. There were healers working on them, doing something to their arms, draining their blood. A woman with a writing clipboard stood near the beds, pen-held, waiting for something. What? I don't understand, Zeth said, watching in horror as the four patients grew pale. You're killing them, aren't you? Yes, we don't need the blood. It is merely a way to kill slowly and easily. Every one of them? The people in this room? We try to select only the worst cases to move here, for once they are brought to this place, we cannot let them leave if they begin to recover. He turned to Zeth, eyes sorrowful. Sometimes we need more bodies than the terminally sick can provide, and so we must bring the forgotten and the lowly, those who will not be missed. Zeth was horrified. Two of the remaining patients were children. He stepped forward. He had to stop this. He had to. Taravangian ordered him to be still and returned to his side. Zeth struggled with himself. What were a few more deaths? Alternatively, he could end this. Strike down Taravangian. He nearly did it, but honor prevailed for the moment. And I'm going to read from the end of the chapter. "'You see, Zeth's son, son, Volano,' Taravangian said. "'I did not send you to do my bloody work for me. I do it here, myself. I have personally held the knife and released the blood from the veins of many. Much like you, I know I cannot escape my sins. We are two men of one heart. That is—this is the one, one reason why I—this is one reason why I sought you out.' "'But why?' Zeth asked. "'On the beds, a dying youth started speaking.' One of the women, with the clipboards, stepped forward quickly, recording the words. The day was ours, but you, they took it, the boy cried. Stormfather, you cannot have it. The day is ours. They come rasping, and the lights fail. Oh, Stormfather. The boy arched his back, then fell still suddenly, eyes dead. The king turned to Zeth. Oh, what's that? Keep going. The king turned to Zeth. It is better for one man to sin than for a people to be destroyed. Wouldn't you say, Zeth, the son, son Volano? "'I...' we do not know why some speak when others do not. Taravangian said, but the dying see something. It began seven years ago, about the time when King Gavilar was investigating the shadowed plains for the first time. His eyes grew distant. It is coming, and these people see it. On that bridge between life and the endless ocean of death, they view something. Their words might save us. You're a monster. Yes, Taravangian said but I am the monster who will save this world. He looked at Zeth. I have a name to add to your list. I had hoped to avoid doing this, but recent events have made it inevitable. I cannot let him seize control. He will undermine everything. Who? Zeth asked, wondering if anything at all could horrify him further. Dalinar Colin, Taravangian said. I'm afraid it must be done quickly before he can unite the Alethi High Princes. You will go to the Shattered Plains and end him. He hesitated. It must be done brutally, I'm afraid. I have rarely had the luxury of working otherwise, Zeth said, closing his eyes. The screams greeted him. And that's the end of the chapter. What did you notice, Mango? This is where
1: all of the chapter... Uh, what are they called? The epigraphs? Epigraphs came from.
0: At least a a good chunk of them. So we now know where all of them came from. Uh, cause it was this, it was Yasna's journal and it was, um, Wits letter.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, earlier in the book, Taravangian's like, I'm going to be in trouble for letting Yasna be here. And Yasna's like, oh, you'll be forgiven. And Taravangian goes, forgiven me? I don't think so. Which mm-hmm. is so good on reread. Cause you know, he's fucking bleeding sick people dry in his basement. For the words they speak when they die. Um, Tarvangian. Kind of a different dude than... He came across in Shallan's chapters. Every time Shallan sees him... Oh, definitely. Yeah, every time she sees him, she's like, This guy's so dumb. He's such a moron. Chapter 72, Varus Titalian. And this is another Shallan chapter. Shallan asks about how Yazna had saved her and Yazna says that soul casting Shalon's blood was easy as blood is one of the essences. She says that Shallan will learn more if Yazna actually decides to teach her. Shallan asks if all the soul of fabrials are hoaxes and Yazna says that they're real. She doesn't know anybody else that can do what they can. Shallan asks about the symbol-headed creatures and shows Yazna a sketch of one. Yasna frowned taking the image. You see things like beings like this in shadesmar? They appear in my drawings, Shalon said. They were around me, Yasna. You don't see them? Am I Yasna held up her hand. These are a type of spren, Shalon. They are related to what you do. She tapped the desk softly. Two orders of the Knight's Radiant possessed inherent soul casting ability. It was based on their powers that the original Fabrioles were designed. I were designed, I believe. I had assumed that you but no, that obviously wouldn't make sense now. Would be... but no, that obviously wouldn't make sense. I see now. What? I will explain as I train you, Yasna said, handing back the sheet. You will need a greater foundation before you can grasp it. Suffice it to say that each Radiant's abilities were tied to the spread. Uh, wait, Radiance, But- Yasna says she'll explain, but first they have to speak of the Voidbringers. Shallan says she's looked through some of Yasna's notes and found the Voidbringers to be nothing more than myths and fables. She didn't understand how Yasna could be a non-believer but chase after shadows. Yasna looked over her sheets of paper. Do you know the real difference between me and a believer, Shalon? Shalon shook her head. It strikes me that religion, in its essence, sh- seeks to take natural events and ascribe supernatural causes to them. I, however, seek to take supernatural events and find the natural meanings behind them. Perhaps that is the final dividing line between science and religion, opposite sides of a card. So you think, the Voidbringers had a natural real-world correlate, Yasna said, firmly. I'm certain of it. Something caused the legends. What was it? Yasna handed Shallan a page of notes. These are the best I've been able to find. Read them. Tell me what you think. Shalan scanned the page. Some of the quotes, or at least the concepts, were familiar to her from what she'd already read. Suddenly dangerous, like a calm day that became a tempest. They were real, Yasna repeated. Beings of ash and fire. We fought with them, Yasna said. We fought so often that men began to speak of the creatures in metaphor. A hundred battles, ten tenfolds. Flame and char, skin so terrible. Eyes like pits of blackness, music when they kill. We defeated them, Yasna said. Shalan felt a chill. But the legends lie about one thing, Yasna continued. They claim we chased the Voidbringers off the face of Roshar or destroyed them. But that's not how humans work. We don't throw away something we can use. Shalan rose, walking to the edge of the balcony, looking out at the lift, which was slowly being lowered by its two porters. Parshman, with skin of black and red. Ash and fire. Storm father, Shallan whispered, horrified. We didn't destroy the Voidbringers, Yasna said from behind, her voice haunted. We enslaved them. And that's the end of the chapter.
1: And the Voidbringers caused the Desolation.
3: Well, the Voidbringers are who they fought during the Desolations. And they're the parchmen. Well, they're and... the
1: parshendi.
0: Uh, yeah, and they and when the enslaved Parshmen are descended from the Voidbringers.
1: And that's why the Parshendi were shocked to see Kaladin radiating light, because the radiance have been gone for thousands
0: of years. I fucking if if you were to go back to this book, Mango, uh, you'd be you'd go Wow, how did I not realize that the Parshendi were the Voidbringers? The amount of times this book hammers you over the head that the Voidbringers were beings of ash and fire, and the amount of times that they talk about the Parshendi having marbled skin of black and red, is astounding. Like, yeah,
1: well, I mean, if I was reading yeah. it myself, I probably would have picked up on that, but having it
0: told to you, yeah.
1: it's not funny. i.
0: No, but I mean, even when I read it, I didn't figure it out until maybe a couple lines before they said it. Like when they were pushing it right. So
1: everything about the like, creatures that was described was just metaphorical?
3: To an extent.
0: Um, So the
1: Parshendi also have abilities.
0: uh, We're going to learn a lot more about the Parshendi next book. Because
1: if they were capable of killing 9 out of 10 people, that means Clearly, they had an upper hand somehow.
0: Especially when they were fighting Surgebinders. Because while yeah. Nohadan says that, like, when Dalinar has the vision of nohadon he surmises that uh, the Knights Radiant didn't yet exist, but Nohadan mentions Surgebinders as a concept. So they were already around, just the Knights Radiant hadn't formed.
3: Mm. It wasn't, like, an organized group yet. Mm. Uh, but yeah, the Parshman and the Parshendi are the Voidbringers. Okay. Um, next next book has a Parshendi viewpoint. Um, Ooh. So you learn a lot more about them in the next book.
0: Um, yeah. Chapter 73, Trust. Oh, and I will also just call attention to uh, Yasna... Yasna said that the symbol-headed things are spren.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and that she was surprised that those were the spren that Shalan sees. But that she says that two orders of the Radiance could access Shadesmar in the way that they can. So Shalan must be the other order.
3: Huh. So they're also both
1: technically supposed to be radiant.
3: Or at least on the path to
1: They're it. on the path to being raided.
3: Um
0: I think you could surmise, from what we know that Yasna's probably the furthest along of anybody in the book.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Cuz she knows the most.
1: She doesn't have a shard blade though, does she?
3: We have never seen her use one. That doesn't mean that she doesn't have one.
1: Yeah. We only ever saw her delete those guys.
0: Yeah, that's the nasty thing about shard blades. They kind of disappear when you're not using them. <laughs> yeah. Impossible to know if somebody has one or not. Chapter 73. And we know that
1: Shallan yeah. has one. We do know that. And we know that Kaladin doesn't have one because he gave it up.
0: Yes, yes. He won one when he killed um, the person trying to kill Amaram. And, uh, but he, did, he decided not to take it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Chapter 73, Trust. And this is Kaladin's symbol. Kaladin stood on Dalinar Colin's staging ground, looking eastward over the Shattered Plains. Kaladin asked Sil if he should trust Dalinar, and she says that he's a good man despite the thing that he carried. Talking about his shard blade. She says she doesn't know why, but shard blades feel wrong to her. She hates them and is glad that Kaladin got rid of his, as it, uh, or no, she's glad that Dalinar got rid of his because, and it makes him a better man to have done so. Kaladin thought about the Parshendi's Shardbearer he'd fought. The Parshendi hadn't interrupted their duel and had avoided attacking wounded bridgemen, and Kaladin had attacked their Shardbearer from behind. That bothered him, and the fact that it bothered him also bothered him. He wasn't good at being a warrior. Can you kill to protect, Kaladin asked out loud. Is that a self-contradiction? I... I don't know. You acted strangely in the battle, Kaladin said, swirling around me. After that, you left. I didn't see much of you. The killing, she said softly. It hurt me. I had to go. Yet you're the one who prompted me to go and save Dalinar. You wanted me to return and kill. I know. Tef said that the Radiants held to a standard, Kaladin said. He said that by their tales, you shouldn't do terrible things to accomplish Great Ones. Yet what did I do today? Slaughter Parshendi in order to save Alethi? What of that? They aren't innocent, but neither are we. Not by a faint breeze or a stormwind. Syl didn't reply. If I hadn't gone to save Dalinar's men, I would have allowed Sadius to succeed in a terrible betrayal. I'd have let men die who I could have saved. I'd have been sick and disgusted with myself. I also lost three good men, bridgemen, who who were mere breaths away from their freedom. Are the lives of the others worth that? I don't have the answers, Kaladin. Does anyone? Footsteps came from behind, Sill turned. It's him. Delinar Colin approached Kaladin and apologized for asking the younger man to meet him so late. He asked how Kaladin's men were doing. His men had gotten treatment from Delanor's best surgeons even before the light-eyed officers. The bridgemen, had, that hadn't been from Bridge 4, had immediately accepted Kaladin as their leader. Delanor asks if the men will take his offer of money and freedom, and Kaladin says that he thinks some will, but most will stay as soldiers. He thinks Bridge 4 will follow whatever Kaladin does. Dalinar asks what Kaladin is going to do, and he says that he hasn't decided yet. Dalinar says that Kaladin took command like a light-eyes, and that Dalinar owed his life, his son's life, and his men's lives to Kaladin. He asks why Kaladin had come back for them, and Kaladin just asks why Dalinar gave up his Shardblade. Dalinar makes Kaladin an offer. He says that his honor guard was mostly wiped out, and that the ones that are left, he needs to complement the Kingsguard. He asks Kaladin to have Bridge Four be the new honor guard for House Colin. He says that he needs every man he can get, but anyone he would recruit from the Normal Army could be compromised by Sadius. Kaladin asks what Dalinar is planning, and he says that he's going to take away the High Prince's games. Kaladin says that Bridge Four will become Dalinar's honor guard, and the rest of the bridgemen will be trained as a spearman company, but that he needs it guaranteed that the ones in the honor guard will be paid like it. Dalinar says, of course. Kaladin also says that his men won't answer to any light eyes outside of Dalinar, his sons, or the king. Dalinar says that that would be very irregular, but Kaladin says if they're going to be guarding House Colin, they can't be ordered around by others' light eyes. Dalinar agrees, naming Kaladin a captain, and saying that he'll be outside the chain of command. Higher-ranking light eyes won't be able to order him around, but he also won't be able to order, ra- order around lower-ranked light eyes. Kaladin says that his men will be assigned to patrolling, not plateau runs. or uh, plateau runs. The Parshendi had shown him more honor than most members of his own army. The Honor Guard would go on the plateau runs to protect Dalinar, but not to kill Parshendi. Dalinar agrees, saying he won't be on the fl- front lines as much anymore anyways. Kaladin says this all depends on whether his men will agree. They follow him, but he doesn't own them. Dalinar shook Kaladin's hand, then handed him a bundle he'd been carrying. It contained the cloak that Dalinar had worn into battle today, washed and patched. Each man who wears my colors, Dalinar said, is of my family, in a way. The cloak is a simple gift, but it is one of the few things I can offer that has any meaning. Accept it with my gratitude, Kaladin, storm-blessed. Kaladin slowly refolded the cloak. Where did you hear that name? Your men. They think very highly of you, and that makes me think very highly of you. I need men (laughs) like you. Like all of you. He narrowed his eyes, looking thoughtful. The whole kingdom needs you. Perhaps uh, Perhaps all of Roshar. The true desolation comes. What was that last part? Nothing, Dalinar said. Please, go get some rest, Captain. I hope to hear good news from you soon. Dalinar tells Kaladin to get some rest, and Kaladin walks off towards his new barracks. Dalinar had given him one building for each of the bridge crews. He now commanded over a thousand men. He never commanded a group larger than twenty-five before. Kaladin found Bridge Four, not in their barracks, sleeping, but outside gathered around a fire. What are you doing? Kaladin asks sternly. You should all be resting. The bridgemen glanced at each other. It just, Moash said, it didn't feel right to go to sleep until we'd had a chance to, well, do this. Hard to sleep on a day like this, Goncho, Lopin added. Speak for yourself, Scar said, yawning, wounded leg resting up on a stump. But the stew is worth staying up for, even if he does put rocks in it. I do not, Rock snapped, airsick lowlanders. They'd left a place for Kaladin. He sat down, using Dalinar's cloak as a cushion for his back and head. He gratefully took a bowl of stew that Drahi handed him. We've been talking about what the men saw today, Teft said. The things you did. I see, Kaladin said, his appetite fleeing. Did they see him as different? Frightening? Something to be ostracized, as his father had been back in Hearthstone? Worse yet, something to be worshipped. He looked into their wide eyes and braced himself. It was amazing, He said, leaning forward. You're one of the Radiants, Scar said, pointing. I believe it, even if Teft says you aren't. He isn't yet, Teft snapped. Don't you listen? Can you teach me to do what you did, Moash cut in? I'll learn too, Gancho, Lopin said. You know, if you're teaching and all. Kaladin blinked, overwhelmed as the others chimed in. What can you do? How does it feel? Can you fly? He held up a hand, stanching the questions. Aren't you alarmed by what you saw? Several of the men shrugged. They kept you alive, Gancho, Lopin said. The only thing I'd be alarmed about is how irresistible the women would find it. Lopin, they'd say. You only have one arm, but I see that you can glow. I think you should kiss me now. But it's strange and frightening, <laughs> Kaladin <laughs> protested. I love loafing so much. <laughs> this is what the Radiance did. Everyone knows they were traitors. Yeah, Moesh said, snorting. Just like everyone knows that the Light Eyes are chosen by the Almighty to rule and how they've always, they have always—they are always noble and just. Well, Bridge Forest, added, we've been around. We've lived in the Krem and been used as bait. If it helps you survive, it's good. That's all that needs to be said about it. So can you teach it? Moash asked. Can you show us how to do what you do? I... I don't know if it can be taught, Kaladin said, glancing at Syl, who bore a curious expression as she sat on a nearby rock. I'm not certain what it is. They looked crestfallen. But, Kaladin added, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. Moash smiled. Can you do it? Drahi asked, fishing out a sphere, a small glowing diamond chip. Right now? I want to see it when I'm expecting it. It's not a feast-day sport, Drahi, Kaladin said. Don't you think we deserve it? Sigzl leaned forward on his stone. Kaladin paused. Then, hesitantly, he reached out a finger and touched the sphere. He inhaled sharply, drawing in the light it was becoming more and more natural. The sphere faded. Stormlight began to trickle from Kaladin's skin and he breathed normally to make it look leak faster, making it more visible. Rock pulled out a ragged old blanket used for kindling and tossed it over the fire, disturbing the flame spread and making a, f- taking- making a few moments of darkness before the flames chewed through. In that darkness, Kaladin glowed, pure white light rising from his skin. Storms, Dreh'i breathed. So what can you do with it? Scar asked eager. You didn't answer. I'm not entirely certain what I can do, Kaladin said, holding his hand up in front of him. It faded in a moment and the fire burned through the blanket, igniting them all again. I've only known about it for a few for sure. I've only known about it for sure for a few weeks. I can draw arrows toward me and can make rocks stick together. The light makes me stronger and faster and it heals my wounds. How much stronger does it make you? Sigil said. How much weight can the rocks bear after you stick them together and how long do they remain bonded? How much faster do you get? Twice as fast? A quarter again as fast? How far away can an arrow be when you draw it toward you and can can you draw other things as well? Kaladin blinked. I I don't know. Well, it seems pretty important to know that kind of stuff, Scar said, rubbing his chin. We can do tests, Rock f- folded his arms, smiling. "Is good idea. Maybe you will help us figure out how we can do it too, Moash noted. It's nothing to learn, Rock shook his head. Is of the tental for him only. You don't know that for certain, Tef said. You don't know for certain, I don't know for certain. Rock wagged a spoon <laughs> at him. <laughs> Eat your stew. Kaladin held up his hands. You can't tell anyone about this, men. They'll be frightened of me. Maybe think I'm related to the Voidbringers or the Radiants. I need your oaths on this. He looked at them, and they nodded one by one. But we want to help, Scar said. Even if we can't learn it, this thing is part of you and you're one of us. Bridge 4, right? Kaladin looked at their eager faces and couldn't stop himself from nodding. Yes. Yes, you can help. Excellent, Sigzl said. I'll prepare a list of tests to gauge speed, accuracy, and the strength of these bonds you can create. We'll have to find a way to determine if there's anything else you can do. Throw him off a cliff, Rock said. What good will that do? (laughs) I had to break the accent because it's funnier to say like that. (laughs) What good will that do, Pete asked. Rock shrugged. If he has other abilities, this thing will make them come out, eh? Nothing like falling from cliff to make a man out of a boy. Kaladin regarded him with a sour expression, and Rock laughed. It will be small, Cliff. He held up his thumb and forefinger to indicate a tiny amount. I like you too much for large one. I think you're joking, Kaladin said, taking a bite of his stew. But just to be safe, I'm sticking you to the ceiling tonight to keep you from trying any experiments while I am asleep. The (laughs) bridgeman The Bridgman chuckled. Just don't glow too brightly while we're trying to sleep, eh, Goncho? Lopin said. I'll do my best. He took another spoonful of stew. It tasted better than usual. Had Rock changed the recipe? or was it something else? As he settled back to eat, the other bridgemen began chatting, speaking of home and their pasts, things that had once been taboo. Several of the men from other crews, wounded whom Kaladin had helped, even just a few lonely souls who were still awake, wandered over. The men at Bridge 4 welcomed them, handing over stew and making room. Everyone looked as exhausted as Kaladin felt, but nobody spoke of turning in. He could see why now. Being being together, eating rock stew, listening to the quiet chatter while the fire crackled and popped, sending dancing flakes of yellow light into the air. This was more relaxing than sleep could be. Kaladin smiled, leaning back, looking upward toward the dark sky and the large, sapphire moon. Then he closed his eyes, listening. Three more men were dead. Malip, Earless Jax, and Narm. Kaladin had failed them, but he and Bridge Four had protected hundreds of others. Hundreds who would never have to run a bridge again who would never have to face Parshendi Arrows, would never have to fight again if they didn't want to. More personally, 27 of his friends lived, partially because of what he'd done, partially because of their own heroism. 27 men lived. He'd finally managed to save someone. For now, that was enough. That's the end of the chapter. Uh, I really like that Everybody, every other chapter's like crazy revelations, but Sanderson's like, Kaladin's been through enough. Yeah. <laughs> he had his crazy revelation during the tower. He can chill with the bridgemen, and it's a much better place for them to be than the beginning of the book. Like, oh, yeah. Bridge 4 is going to be Dalinar's personal guard. All the bridgemen are in Dalinar's camp. They're free to do whatever they like. Uh, They're outside the He now the has a massive
1: command. force of soldiers.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of them.
1: How many of the bridgemen stick around? Well, I guess not massive. Depends on how many bridges there were.
0: But it still won't, it still won't make up what Dalinar lost at the tower.
1: No, but he still got a bunch more soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. That he didn't have. And they and are much more likely to fight passionately for Dalinar because of the fact that he gave up something for them to free
2: them. So. Yeah.
3: And while he doesn't know it yet, the best thing he got out of that deal is Kaladin's Stormblessed.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Chapter 74, Ghost Uh,
0: this chapter has Shalan's symbol again. Shalan had gone through most of Yasna's notes and was convinced. Yasna was right. The Voidbringers are the Parshmen. She couldn't see any other conclusion. Yasna says that now they have to shift their their studies to Gavilar's death. The Parshendi murdering Gavilar is what set Yasna down this path. She believes the Parshendi of the Shattered Plains are the key. She says there's a disaster coming, and that she's terrified. Shallan says that they have the Parshmen tamed. Do we? Shall, do we, Shallan, think of what they do, how they're regarded, how often they're used. Shallan, Shallan hesitated. The Harshmen were pervasive. They serve our food. They work our storehouses. They tend our children. There isn't a village in Roshar that doesn't have some Parshmen. We ignore them. We just expect them to be there, doing as they do, working without complaint. Yet one group turned suddenly from peaceful friends to ferocious warriors. Something set them off, just as it did hundreds of years ago, during the days known as the heraldic epochs. There would be peri- a period of peace, followed by an invasion of Parshmen who, for reasons nobody understood, had suddenly gone mad with rage. This was, h- was humankind- eh. this was what was behind mankind's fight to keep from being banished to damnation. This was what nearly ended our civilization. These were the terrible, repeated cataclysms that were so frightening, men began to speak of them as desolations. We've nurtured the Parshmen. We've integrated them into every part of our society. We depend on them, never realizing that we've harnessed a high storm waiting to explode. The accounts from the Shattered Plains speak of these Parshendis' ability to communicate among themselves, allowing them to sing their songs in unison when far apart. Their minds are connected, like span reeds. Do you realize what that means? Shalann nodded. What would happen if every Parchment on Roshar suddenly turned against his masters, seeking freedom, or worse, vengeance? We'd be de- devastated. Er, yeah. we'd be devastated. Civilization as we know it would collapse. We have to do something. Yasla says that there are still facts they need to gather before they can act. They still don't know about the creatures that supposedly fought alongside the Parchment. Beasts of stone that may be some kind of great shell. But they've gotten everything out of Cobranth that they can can for now. She asks if Shallan really wants to come. She wouldn't get to return home for a long time. Shallan says that her family needs her, but that this was bigger than them. She'd, need, she'd find another way to help her family. Good, then go pack your things. We're leaving tomorrow on that ship I chartered for you. We're going to Yakaved? No, we need to get to the center of it all. She looked at Shallan. We're going to the Shattered Plains. We need to find out if the Parshendi were ever ordinary par- Parshmen, and if so, what set them off. Perhaps I am wrong about this, but if I am right, then the Parshendi could hold the key to turning ordinary Parshmen into soldiers. Then grimly, she continued. And we need to do it before someone else does, then uses it against us. Someone else? Shalane asked, feeling a sharp stab of panic. There are others looking for this? Of course there are. Who do you think went to so much trouble trying to have me assassinated? She reached into a stack of papers on her desk. I don't know much about them. For all I know, there are many groups searching for these secrets. I know for, of one for certain, however. They call themselves the Ghost Bloods. She pulled out a sheet. Your friend Cabsol was one. We found their symbol tattooed on the inside of his arm. She set the pattern down. On it was a symbol of three diamonds in a pattern overlapping one another. It was the same symbol that Nan Balot had shown her weeks ago. The symbol worn by Luesh, her father's steward, the man who had known how to use the Soulcaster. The symbol worn by the mm. men who had come, pressuring her family to return it. The men who had been financing Shalan's father in his bid to become a High Prince. Almighty above, Shalan whispered. She looked up. Yasna, I think. I think my father might have been a member of this group. And that's the end of the chapter.
2: <laughs>
0: Yasna and Shalan are going to the Shattered Plains! So. Oh. Um. Let's see if this has been mentioned already. Yes, it has been mentioned already. Uh, ghost Bloods. Amaram. Let's take it all the way back. Amaram said that the Ghost Bloods grow more bold. Why would Didacar risk such a thing? Um. After he was almost killed Thidakar on the battlefield. In
1: charge of the Ghost Blood.
0: Thydekar is related to the Ghost Bloods in some way, and the Ghost Bloods tried to have. M killed it seems mm. And Gavilar, Daedekar was the first person that he thought might be trying to kill him when Zeth came after him. And now the ghostbloods were working on making Shallan's father a high prince in Yakaved. It's all it's all the, the secret societies and the webs weave together. Mm. The ghostbloods uh, um, kind of loom over this story a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, another thing to be worried about. Great. We have two chapters left. Okay. Chapter 75, In the Top Room. Dalinar entered one of his visions, the very first vision he'd ever seen. He stood on a field of bone-white rock while smoke rings in the shape of objects and people rose around him. You must unite them, a powerful voice boomed. Why did you lie to me? Dalinar demanded of the open darkness. I did what you said, and I was betrayed. Unite them. The sun approaches the horizon. The everstorm comes. The true desolation. The night of sorrows. You must prepare. Build of your people a fortress of strength and peace. A wall to resist the winds. Cease squabbling, and unite. I need answers, Dalinar said. I don't trust you any longer. If you want me to listen to you, you'll need to- the vision shifted and Dalinar had moved, just like the first time he'd had this vision. He looked around the plains he had appeared in and saw a ridge in the distance. He climbed to the top of it and looked down below. And there he saw Kolinar, his home, the capital city of Alethkar. It had been destroyed. The beautiful buildings had been shattered. The windblades were cast down. There were no bodies, just broken stone. This wasn't like the vision he had seen before with Nohadon. This wasn't the Kolinar of the distant past. He could see the rubble of his own palace. But there was no rock formation like the one he stood on near Colinar in the real world. Always before, these visions had shown him the past. Was this now a vision of the future? I cannot fight him any longer, the voice said. Dalinor jumped, glancing to the side. A man stood there. He had dark skin and pure white hair. Tall, thick of chest, but not massive. He wore, he wore exotic clothing of a strange cut. Loose, billowing trousers and a coat that came down only to his waist. Both seemed made of gold. Yes, this very thing had happened before, in his very first vision. Dalinar could remember it now. Who are you? Dalinar demanded. Why are you showing me these visions? You can see it there, the figure said, pointing. If you look closely, it begins in the distance. Dalinar glanced in that direction, annoyed. He couldn't make out anything specific. Storm it! Won't you answer my questions for once? what is the good of all this if you m- just speak in riddles? The man didn't answer. He just kept pointing. And yes, a- something was happening. There was a shadow in the air, approaching. A wall of darkness, like a high storm, only wrong. At least tell me this, Dalinar said. What time are we seeing? is this- Is this the past? The future? Or something else entirely? The figure didn't answer immediately. Then he said, You're probably wondering if this is a vision of the future. Dalinar started. I just... I just asked. This was familiar. Too familiar. He said the exact... He said the exact... He said that exact thing last time, Dalinar realized, feeling a chill. This all happened. I'm seeing the same vision again. The figure squinted at the horizon. I cannot see the future completely. Cultivation. She is better at it than I. It's as if the future is a shattering window. The further you look, the more pieces that window breaks into. The near future can be anticipated, but the distant future, I can only guess. You can't hear me, can you? Dalinar asked, feeling a horror as he finally began to understand. You never could. Blood of my father's. He's not ignoring me. He can't see me. He doesn't speak in riddles. It just seems that way because I took his responses as cryptic answers to my questions. He didn't tell me to trust Sadius. I... I just assumed. Everything seemed to shake around Alinar. His preconceptions, everything he'd thought he'd known. The ground itself. This is what could happen, the figure said, nodding into the distance. It's what I fear will happen. It's what he wants. The true desolation. No, that wall in the air wasn't a high storm. It wasn't rain making that enormous shadow, but blowing dust. He remembered this vision in full now. It had ended here with him confused, staring out at that oncoming wall of dust. This time, however, the vision continued. The figure turned to him. I am sorry to do this to you. By now, I hope that what you've seen has given you a foundation to understand. But I can't know for certain. I don't know who you are or how you have found your way here. "'Aye. What to say? Did it matter?' "'Most of what I show you are scenes I have seen directly,' the figure said. "'But some, such as this one, are born out of my fears. "'If I fear it, then you should too.'" The land was trembling. The wall of dust was being caused by something. Something approaching. The ground was falling away. Dalinar gasped. The very rocks around ahead was shattering, breaking apart, becoming dust. He backed away as everything began to shake, a massive earthquake accompanied by a terrible roar of dying rocks. He fell to the ground. There was an awful, grinding, terrifying moment of nightmare. The shaking, the destruction, the sounds of the land itself seeming to die. Then it was past. Dalinar breathed in and out before rising on unsteady legs. He and the figure stood on a solitary pinnacle of rock, a little section that for some reason had been protected. It was like a stone pillar a few paces wide, rising high into the air. Around it, the land was gone. Kolinar was gone. It had all fallen away into unplumbed darkness below. He felt vertigo, standing on that tiny bit of rock that impossibly remained. What is this? Dalinar demanded, though he knew that the being couldn't hear him. The figure looked about sorrowful. I can't leave much. Just these few images given to you, whoever you are. These visions. They're like a journal, aren't they? A history, you wrote. A book you left behind, except I don't read it, I see it. The figure looked into the sky. I don't even know if anyone will ever see this. I am gone, you see. Dalinar didn't respond. He looked over the pinnacle's sheer edge, down at a void, horrified. This isn't about you, just about you, either, the figure said, raising his hand into the air. A light winked out in the sky, one that Dalinar hadn't realized was there. Then another winked out as well. The sun seemed to be growing dimmer. It's about all of them. I should have realized he'd come for me. Who are you? The figure still stared into the sky. I leave this because there must be something. A hope to discover. A chance that someone will find what to do. Do you wish to fight him? Yes, Dalinar found himself saying, despite knowing that it didn't matter. I don't know who he is, but if he wants to do this, then I will fight him. Someone must lead them. I will do it, Dalinar said. The words just came out. Someone must unite them. I will do it. Someone must protect them. I will do it. The figure was silent for a moment. Then he spoke in a clear, crisp voice. Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. Speak again the ancient oaths and return to men the shards they once bore. He turned to Dalinar, meeting his eyes. The Knights Radiant must stand again. I cannot comprehend how that can be done, Dalinar said softly, but I will try. Men must face them together, the figure said, stepping up to Dalinar, placing a hand on his shoulder. You cannot squabble as in times past. He realised that you, given time, will become your own enemies. That he doesn't need to fight you. Not if he can make you forget, make you turn against one another. Your legends say that you won, but the truth is that we lost, and we are losing. Who are you? I wish I could do more, repeated the figure in gold. You might be able to get him to choose a champion. He is bound by some rules. All of us are. A champion could work well for you, but it is not certain. And without the Dawn Shards, well, I have done what I can. It is a terrible, terrible thing to leave you alone. Who are you? Dalinar asked again, and yet he thought he knew. I am. I was. God. The one you call the Almighty. The Creator of Mankind. The figure closed his eyes. And now I am dead. Odium has killed me. I am sorry. That's the end of the chapter. Excuse me? I am, I was, God. The one you call the Almighty, the creator of mankind. And now I am dead. Odium has killed me. I am sorry.
1: So the Almighty has been dead for a long time, and Dalinar's just now seeing these visions.
0: Do you remember, in one of the um, epigraphs, they were taken, one of the uh, um, one of the like last words, one of the death rattles they're called, um, in the notes, it says that the person had reportedly seen, like, had dreams during high storms. Mm-hmm. So they were having visions as well.
2: Yeah.
3: So it... It's not just him yeah. who's seeing them. It's not like they were meant for Dalinar. They were just meant for somebody. And, and so it's is the just first...
1: random people that are seeing them.
0: Um, they'll talk more Am about I the random? visions in the future. We're not done with them. Okay. There's still more to glean from them, and as you can see, oh. we cycled back to the beginning. So,
1: so now he's going to see all of them again.
0: So Dalinar now has a chance to look closer, though, and try to find answers in them. Now that he mm-hmm. knows that they're both real, and that they actually happen, like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, odium. Uh, the f- thing that spoke to Kaladin in the storm spoke of
3: odium. Um, and odium
1: killed the almighty. Uh,
3: yes. Uh, yeah. The figure said to uh Kaladin that odium comes. And he also said
0: Odium Reigns. Um, and when Kaladin mentioned Odium, uh, Syl freaked the fuck out.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, and the figure in the storm called Kaladin Child of Honor, Child of Tanavast. Um, and what's Tanavast? Something you like, can't
1: tell me, okay.
0: Uh, unle- not unless you piece it together yourself. But I, do- I
1: don't know what that word means. Well, well, yes. Um, Have we ever heard that word anywhere other than when that person called him that?
0: No, it doesn't exactly mean, uh, child of honor.
1: Wait, then he calls,
0: but but the honor's friend. Yes.
1: Child of honor, honor's friend. It has something to do with that, I guess.
3: We have odium.
0: And uh, the Almighty said that there was somebody called Cultivation that can see into the future better than, than he can.
1: Cultivation had a capital C?
0: Yep, capital C, Cultivation. You
1: never mentioned that.
0: Sorry, I, I forgot to. Uh, I was, so, yeah, Cultivation had a capital C. Uh, Cultivation uh, can see into the future better than the Almighty could and the Almighty thought he should have known that Odium would come for him. Uh, And that he says uh, that Odium is bound by some rules, all of us are, and that a champion could work well for Dalinar, but that it's not certain.
1: Did we ever hear what the person in charge of the herald was named?
3: The king of the heralds was Yazriam.
1: And we don't know the names of all the heroes.
0: Uh, no, no, we know. Um, okay, uh, I can say this because Sanderson said this. Uh, people knew, people knew the Almighty's name before any of the other books after this one came out. The Almighty's name is Honor. When, huh. when uh, the person in the storm is referring to Kaladin as Child of Honor, Child of the Almighty, Child of Honor, Child of Tanavast.
1: So, t- child of the almighty, child of something. Because you didn't say what Tanavast means.
0: No, because I, I don't know when... Uh, oh, okay, uh, he also uh, answered this. Tanavast was uh, Honor's name at one point.
2: Oh, so it's just...
0: It's just saying thing. the same thing twice. But, but child of Honor, names. child of
3: Tanavast interesting
0: and in wit's letter um he refers to somebody called uh grace
3: uh he talks and about the herald the threat... didn't
1: have alternate names
0: uh outside of like the one like yezrian like another name besides that yeah I mean, they had names that the other religions called them by. Oh. I'm just um, trying to
1: piece stuff together. Yeah.
0: Yes, it's a lot. Uh, but Sanderson I don't think I
1: have all the pieces.
0: No, you don't. But what I can tell you is that Almighty is Honor. There's something called Odium that killed him and is coming. And uh, there's another something called Cultivation.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And
0: now for the epilogue. Oh, gosh. We're okay. not done. Last bit. Last little bit. Grab my book.
1: Oh, yeah. You said you were going to
0: just read. I, I can't. I can't do it justice. Um, Epilogue titled Of Most Worth. Can you feel it? Wit asked of the open air. Something just changed. I believe that's the sound of the world makes when it pisses itself. <laughs> Three guards stood just inside the thick wooden city gates of Kolonar. Starting off strong. <laughs> The men regarded Wit with worry. The gates were closed, and these men were of the Night Watch, a somewhat inappropriate title. They didn't spend time watching so much as chatting, yawning, gambling, or in tonight's case, standing uncomfortably and listening to a crazy man. That crazy man happened to have blue eyes, which let him get away with all kinds of trouble. Perhaps Wit should have been bemused by the stock these people put in something as simple as eye color, but he had been many places and had seen many methods of rule. This didn't seem any more ridiculous than most others. And of course, there was a reason that people did what they did. Well, there was usually a reason. In this case, it just happened to be a good one. Bright Lord, one of the guards asked, looking at where Wit sat on his boxes. They'd been piled there and left by a merchant who had tipped the night watchman to make certain nothing was stolen. To Wit, they simply made a convenient perch. His pack sat beside him, and on his knees, he was tuning his antir, a square stringed en- instrument. You played it from above, plucking its strings while it sat on your lap. Right, Lord, the Guard repeated, "What are you doing up there, waiting wit said he looked up, glancing eastward, waiting for the storm to arrive. That made the guards more uncomfortable. A high storm was not predicted not was not predicted this night. Wit began playing the year. Let us have a conversation to pass the time. Tell me what is it that men value in others? The music played toward an audience of silent buildings, alleys, and worn cobblestones. The guards didn't respond to him. They didn't seem to know what to make of a black-clad, light-eyed man who entered the city just before evening fell, then sat on boxes beside the gates playing music. "'Well,' Witt asked, pausing the music, "'What do you think? If a man or woman were to have a talent, which would be the most revered, best regarded, considered of the most worth?' "'Uh, music?' one of the men finally said." Yes, a common answer, Wit said, plucking at a few low notes. I once asked this question of some very nice scholars, or very wise scholars. What do men consider the most valuable of talents? One mentioned artistic ability, as you so keenly guessed. Another chose great intellect. The final chose the talent to invent, the ability to design and create marvelous devices. He didn't play a specific tune on the N tier, just plucks here and there, an occasional scale or fifth, like chit-chat in string form. Aesthetic genius. Invention. Acumen. Creativity. Noble ideals indeed. Most men would pick one of those, if given the choice, and name them the greatest of talents. He plucked a string. What beautiful liars we are. The guards glanced at each other, the torches burning in brackets on the wall painted them with orange light. You think I'm a cynic, which said. You think I'm going to tell you that men claim to value these ideals but secretly prefer base talents, the ability to gather coin or to charm women. Well, I am a cynic, but in this case, I actually think those scholars were honest. Their answers speak for the souls of men. In our hearts, we want to believe in and would choose great accomplishment and virtue. That's why our lies, particularly to ourselves, are so beautiful. He began to play a real song, a simple melody at first, soft subdued. A song for a silent night when the entire world changed. One of the soldiers cleared his throat. So what is the most valuable talent a man can have? He sounded genuinely curious. I haven't the faintest idea. Unfortunately, that wasn't the question. I didn't ask what was most valuable, I asked what men value most. The difference between those questions is at once both tiny and as vast as the world itself. He kept plucking his song. One did not strum an entire, it just wasn't done, at least not by people with any sense of propriety. In this, as in all things, our actions give us away if an artist creates a work of powerful beauty using new and innovative techniques she will be lauded as a master and will launch a new movement in aesthetics yet if another working independently with that exact level of skills were to make the same accomplishments the very next month would she find a similar acclaim no she would be called derivative Intellect. If a great thinker develops a new theory of mathematics, a science, or philosophy, we will name him wise. We will sit at his feet and learn, and will record his name in history for thousands upon thousands to revere. But what if another man determines the same theory on his own, then delays in publishing his results by a mere week? Will he be remembered for his greatness? No, he will be forgotten. Invention. A woman builds a new design of great worth, some fabriol or feat of engineering. She will be known as an innovator, but if someone with the same talent creates the same design a year later, not realizing it had already been crafted, will she be rewarded for her creativity? No. She'll be called a copier and a forger. He plucked at his strings, letting the melody continue, twisting, haunting, yet with a faint edge of mockery. And so, in the end, what must we determine? Is it the intellect of a genius that we revere? If it were their artistry, the beauty of their mind, would we not laud it regardless of whether we'd seen their product before? But we don't. Given two works of artistic majesty otherwise weighted equally, we will give greater acclaim to the one who did it first. It doesn't matter what you create. It matters what you create before anyone else. So it's not the beauty itself we admire. It's not the force of intellect. It's not invention, aesthetics, or capacity itself. The greatest talent that we think a man can have, he plucked one final string. Seems to me that it must be nothing more than novelty. The guards looked confused. The gates shook. Something pounded on them from outside. The storm has come, Witt said, standing up. The guards scrambled for spears left leaning beside the wall. They had a guardhouse, but it was empty. They preferred the night air. The gates shook again as if something enormous were outside. The guards yelled, calling to the men atop the wall. All was chaos and confusion as the gate boomed yet a third time, powerful, shaking, vibrating as if hit with a boulder. And then, a bright, silvery blade rammed between the massive doors, slicing upward, cutting the bar that held them closed. A shard blade. The gate swung open. The guards scrambled back. Wit waited on his boxes and Tyr hold in one hand, held in one hand to pack over his shoulder. Outside the gates, standing on the dark stone roadway, was a solitary man with dark skin. His hair was long and matted, his clothing nothing more than a ragged, sack-like length of cloth wrapping his waist. He stood with head bowed, wet, ratty hair hanging down over his face and mixing with a beard that had bits of wood and leaves stuck in it. His muscles glistened, wet as if he'd just swum a great distance. To his side, he carried a massive shard blade point down, sticking about a finger's width into the stone, his hand on the hilt. The blade reflected torchlight. It was long, narrow, and straight, shaped like an enormous spike. Welcome, lost one, Witt whispered. Who are you? one of the guards called, nervous as if as one of the other Matu ran to give the alert. A shard bearer had come to Kolinar. The figure ignored the question. He stepped forward, dragging his shard blade as if it weighed a great deal. It cut the rock behind him, leaving a tiny groove in the stone. The figure walked unsteadily and nearly tripped. He steadied himself against the gate door, and a lock of hair moved from the side of his face, exposing his eyes. Dark brown eyes, like a man of the lower class. Those eyes were wild and dazed. The man finally noticed the two guards, who stood terrified with spears leveled at them. At him. He raised his empty hand toward them. Go, he said raggedly, speaking perfect to no hint of an accent. Run. Raise the call. Give the warning! Who are you? One of the guards forced out. What warning? Who attacks? The man paused. He raised a hand to his head, wavering. Who am I? I... I am Talanelli Lin, Stone Sinew, Herald of the Almighty. The desolation has come. Oh God, it has come. And I have failed. He slumped forward, hitting the rocky ground, Shardblade clattering down behind him. It did not vanish. The guards inched forward. One prodded the man with the butt of his spear. The man who had named himself a herald did not move. What is it we value, Wit whispered. Innovation, originality, novelty, but most importantly, timeliness. I fear you may be too late, my confused, unfortunate friend. The end of the book one, or the end of book one of the Stormlight Archive. Talon's back.
3: Hi, Tom.
0: They left him for 4,500 years, but don't worry. He's back, Mango. And the desolation, apparently, has come.
1: So they left him to be by himself. And he had to fend off whatever it was for that long. And now he got away, so now that thing's going to be
0: unleashed? Uh, In the prelude, they said that they thought the Oath Pact would stay intact so long as one of them went back. Uh, and so they were like, all right, fucking tone can do it. <laughs> um, and now he's back, and he says that the desolation has come, but that he's too late. And that he failed. Uh, and that is all that you've been told.
1: Yeah, but then Wit said, you're a bit
0: late. Yes, he says, uh, that I fear that you're too late. Mm. I fear you may be too late, my confused, unfortunate friend. Hi, Tolan. Uh. And then just really quickly, the end note of the book um, reads, Above silence, the illuminating storms, dying storms, illuminate the silence above. The above sample is noteworthy as it is a katek, a complex form of holy Voron poem. The katek not only reads the same forward and backward, allowing for alteration of verb forms, but is divisible into five distinct smaller sections, each of which makes a complete thought. The complete poem must form a sentence that is grammatically correct and theoretically poignant in meaning. Because of the difficulty in constructing a katek, the structure was once considered the highest and most impressive form of all Voron poetry. The fact that this one was uttered by an illiterate dying Herdasian in a language he barely spoke should be a particular note. There is no record of this particular katek in any repository of Voron poetry, so it is very unlikely that the subject was merely repeating something he once heard. None of the ardents we showed it to had any knowledge of it, though three did praise its structure and asked to meet the poet. We leave it to his majesty's mind on a strong day to puzzle out the meaning of why the storms must be important, and what the poem may mean by indicating that there is silence both above and below said storms. Josher, head of his majesty's silent gatherers, Tanatanev 1173. Uh, And that makes up the um, titles of the parts that poem uh in the book it's part one above silence part two the illuminating storms part three dying part four storms illumination and part five the silence above they form a poem how you feeling mango
1: like i didn't get all the answers i want
0: no you probably didn't but that's what
1: the whole series is for
0: Mm mm-hmm it will be 10 books uh um when it's done (laughs) If it's done, uh, uh, if it's not done, we're gonna have much bigger problems. Uh huh. Personally, I'm gonna have a much bigger problem than this podcast. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know how I will go on if the Cosmere is not finished, and <laughs> uh, the Stormlight Archive does make up the central story of the Cosmere for now. Um, this is the main plot for now. These books, uh. Mistborn is kind of off on its own building up a world that will become relevant later on and is introducing plot threads that will become later on more relevant later on but as of right now the main threat that faces the cosmere is in the stormlight archive mm. and he's coming or he has come
1: I don't have much to say
0: Yeah it's it's how do you feel how how do you feel about the ending though are you are you disappointed at all?
1: I don't wouldn't say disappointed just like Yeah. I feel like most <laughs> of the big like revelations took place way earlier. Mhm. What about the stuff with like the parchment? That took place way earlier.
0: Oh, oh, you okay. I thought you meant before I mean, meant, way like, earlier like recorded. today. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of the really huge twists happen at, uh, the beginning, and then they let you mellow out for a bit, and then they just confuse the shit out of you with the Dalinar chapter, and then...
1: Uh, well, that that is, like, kind of a revelation. It's like, hey, loser, read this book again.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> Go through it again. Uh, ODM's coming. You better watch out. He killed me. Uh... And also Dalinar. I am uh,
1: God, and I am dead.
0: yeah, Honor says anything
1: that anyone says is from the Almighty is wrong because I am dead i'm I've been gone
0: uh, for a while. Um, Honor also says that, hey, this isn't just about you, it's about them too, and then Dalinar sees lights in the sky blinking
2: out
3: no, um, I'm guessing that's
1: kind of. It's like Kingdom Hearts One. All the other lights in the sky are yeah, the other exactly.
0: World. <laughs> it, that's how I read it. That if <laughs> if Odium succeeds on Roshar, then the rest of the Cosmere is at risk. Mm-hmm. Which is what Wit says in uh, his letter to uh, the Dragon. He's like, look, the fucking line is here. We gotta we gotta stand here the and stop lion? this. The, no, not the lion. The line. The line is here. The, the odium's line. not a lion. The odium's not a like lion. Like L-I-N-E. I, I e. Yeah, like L-I-N-E. Like, this is the line. This is where we need to hold.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. You mean like that yeah. That kind of line.
2: I was like, yeah, yeah. <sighs> but, like, yeah, this is where no, we need to... Sense.
0: This is where we gotta stop him here or else we're all fucked. Mm-hmm. There's more stuff in the, back, in the back of the book that is the Ars Arcanum. Uh, I'm not going to go over it now. We maybe will talk about it next week. Oh, it's, that's a thing in Kingdom Hearts. It's a yeah. thing. And uh, these books, in every Cosmia book, there's an Ars Arcanum at the back that kind of explains some of the magic of the particular world that you're on. Um, and they're all written by somebody in-universe.
1: Who is this one written by?
0: Uh, they're all written by somebody. They're all written by the same person in universe. The same person is writing about the magic of all these different worlds. Void. No, I'll just tell you it's not.
1: Do we, does it say? Uh,
0: I don't, I don't know where they say who it is. I know who it is, but again, I've read a lot of these books. I don't remember. They're not a really super important character. They're just like another world hopper. They're another person that's around.
1: Then name them.
0: Uh, her name is Chris. She does the uh, arcotums. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that makes me uncomfy. K h r i s s. So two letters off. Yeah, but the arcotum in the back of here. I mean, it just talks about how the wind running lashings work. It talks about how fabrials work a little bit. Um. I, Here's something I've, interesting that i should I should mention is that uh it lists the ten essences that Yazna kind of talks about, and then it says the preceding list is an imperfect gathering of traditional voran symbolism associated with the ten essences bound together, these form the double eye of the Almighty, an eye with two pupils representing the creation of plant and creatures. This is also the basis for the hourglass shape that was often associated with the nights radiant. but that double eyeglass thing that the, that that uh, Chris is talking about there. I've sent that to you at the very beginning. How is
1: that in any way a double eye? Eh. It looks it's kind like of two dragons. Eye. It's not a double eye, it's two dragons. Well, the
0: dragons are in the background. Well, they're not really dragons, they're something else. But the things are in the background. Uh the it's the the um the runes or the symbols are supposed to make up the two pupils, the two eyes.
1: Is that that? Yeah, I see it now, but how on earth was I supposed to get an eye out of that?
0: Uh, you you weren't at first. <laughs> you know, it's not supposed to make sense until you read the Arcanum and you look back at it. You're like, oh, okay, I kind of see it. Um, I guess.
3: Well, and then uh, there symbol- are, like, the, the, the sub...
1: So there there are the big ones, which are the heralds, I'm assuming. And then there are the small ones, which I'm assuming are the symbols of the Knights Radiant.
0: The small ones are the essences. Oh. And the big ones represent the heralds.
1: Do the essences yeah. have something to do with the Knights Radiant?
0: I'll just keep reading this part. Ancient scholars also placed the Ten Orders of Knights Radiant on this list alongside the heralds themselves. Who each had a classical association with one of the numbers and essences. So each of those big symbols okay, represents so yes. both a herald and an order.
3: Oh. So each.
1: So there's a herald. An. An order of the radiance and an essence.
0: Yes, and if you look at, the uh the lines,
3: the essences. Each
0: of the big one only has a small, like, only connects to two of each of the small ones. They might connect to other
3: big ones, but they don't connect to more than two of the small ones. So each of the
1: Heralds and the Orders of the Radiance could use two of the essences, or were connected to two of the essences,
2: I'm assuming. Uh,
0: what does Yasna say to Shallan in this part uh, when they're talking about the Radiance? Um, let's scroll up. She said, Two orders of the Night's Radiant possessed inherent soul-casting ability. It was based on their powers that the original Fabrials were designed, I believe. I had assumed that you, but no, that obviously wouldn't make sense. I see now.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so each one connects to two, and there are two that connect to each one.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Um. So there are two groups that can do what um, Kaladin could do. Possibly. Or wait, no.
1: That would be different. Maybe.
3: There there's another group for each power for each each of uh
0: there there is two other groups that can do part of what Kaladin can do. But there's no other group that can do all of what Kaladin can do.
1: So Kaladin each- can Well he's gonna apparently be a surge binder. Cause they've mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that Whatever connection Zeth has to whatever thing is probably a different one than Kaladin.
0: Zeth does exactly what Kaladin Kaladin does.
1: Everything?
0: Yeah, he has the same power set.
1: Oh. Well then I guess he would be from the same order then. Mm-hmm. Okay, well then. I I I, I-, I can't process but- what where the separation is in what he can do.
0: Zeth Zeth has the same abilities, he would belong to the same order, but don't forget that something is different about the way Zeth operates. Yeah. Well, as far I know as we that. know he doesn't know have that. a spread.
1: I know that. But I like if two different orders can only do half of what he can do, I, I'm struggling to see where the divide in this is this part oh, of what he can yes. do and this is this part of what he can yes. do.
0: Yes it it hasn't been spelled out yet. Uh there is um they don't they don't list the, the 10 powers yet. Uh the it, it, it I know the difference in his powers of where the two things come from. Uh it's just not been spelled out yet. Um for Shalan one of the things she can do is soulcast and yeah. what one of the things that Yasna can do is soulcast and they both each have two separate like two different uh, or, or each has an additional power that's different from one that the other has.
2: Mhm.
1: So Chilana um, is connected to different spren than
0: Yeah, she she has a bond Yazna to a different is. spren than Yasna.
1: But she can't see them physically. She can she can touch them and she can draw them. Or she can't like see them?
0: Her bond does not seem to be as strong as Kaladin and Syl's yet.
1: Oh. I guess that is true. He didn't see her for a long time. Or she didn't allow herself to be seen by
0: him. Mm hmm. I can send you one more image because it's at the very back of the book. You have the map of Roshar, now here's the map of Shadesmar. Uh
1: huh. <laughs> Expanse of the Densities, Nexus of Imagination, Expanse of the Vapor. Expanse of the Broken Sky. Next, Does
3: it true,
2: look familiar?
1: Nexus of
0: Transition.
1: Yeah! It's in the shape <laughs> of a star.
0: It's exactly the same! Whoa! How Whoa. crazy!
1: Sea <laughs> <laughs> of Regret, Sea um, of Souls, Sea of Lost Life. So it, it's like a astral dimension but not
0: Uh they remember those ardents used the words uh, the artists i was studying the spread used the words cognitive realm and shades more interchangeably oh yeah
1: cognitive okay i was gonna say cognitive but i was like eh, yeah i don't want to say cognitive but
3: that,
0: yeah. was, that was well uh that that was that was uh the way of kings mango um we still, you know, we'll talk next week about the whole thing, uh, let you digest a little bit for a week, and then we'll come back fresh-eyed and talk about it. Um, uh, and then we'll take a break from Roshar, and you'll have to learn a whole new magic system. Woo! Lovely. Because people don't bond Spran on Nalthus. They have
3: a different way of using magic.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, uh, that's it. Mango, why don't you tell people where they can find you?
1: You can find me on Twitch at Mango Asteroid. You can also find me on Twitter that I don't ever use at Mango Asteroid. Um, where can people find you, Sean?
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at Sean underscore AFK. Everything that I do is in my bio. Uh, as for this show, you guys can find us on Twitter at SpeakStormlight. You guys can email us at SpeakTheWordsASP at gmail.com. Uh, our cover art was done by Tyler. Follow him on Twitter at Tyler Tyler uh, We're on anchor anchor slash speak the words. And we host the podcast there and it distributes itself to a bunch of different platforms. Uh, wherever you're listening to us, we're there. Uh, that's it for this week. Next week. We'll kind of just talk about the book and uh, I don't have anything to tease you with until we start Warbreaker in like a month and a half. So. Mm-hmm. But now I'll just uh, speak the words and we'll get out of here. Life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination.